Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. This is part two of our conversation with Brad Keselowski. Hopefully you've already listened to part one. If you haven't, please go back and listen to it. After you get done with this, we're going to pick up exactly where we left off in part one. So let's get to it. Here's our conversation, part two with Brad Keselowski. So another thing that's different, Brad, from the last time I talked to you here two years ago was, is that you are now in the television world. And yeah, you were getting glowing reviews. I think it's safe to say that would almost be an understatement. Recently, you know, Dr. Jerry Punch, who of course is a legend among, he's uh, a gold standard. Yeah, he, he's a gold he standard. came out and said he was really impressed by your work that you've been doing on Foxes and Analysts. Well, so, thank um, thank you. What do you think? Are you growing into this? Do you think you'd you'd like it this much? Is um, it better than you expected? Well, here's the thing about doing TV: the truck series and, and being able to help other drivers was in my eyes, a great form of altruism, great way to give back without really expecting anything back is what altruism is. On the TV side, I feel like I found a way to do altruism without losing a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I can go to bed at night and feel like, you know what, this sport has done so much for me. You're giving back. I I need to give back to this sport, and I am, and I feel like I am. Yeah. But on the other side, I'm not like, well, I'm going broke doing it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that's good. I like that about it. Because when the cup drivers do the TV stuff, we do it free, uh, which I, I think probably a lot of people don't understand that, but that's okay. Uh, but it feels right. In general, I, I feel like I can kind of look myself in the mirror with a straight face. And you asked about if I feel any less stress earlier by not owning the truck team. That's probably replaced by the TV. <laughs> <laughs> so this is stressful? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. it can be. Like, you want to be yeah. prepared. Like, I don't want to get up there and not know what I'm talking about. My ultimate fear is to be in the booth and not know who's in the cars. And it's, it's really easy to do. Like the paint schemes change all the time. And, you know, Xfinity series, they got different drivers. And you're like, gosh. So, yeah, I, I try to make sure I know who I'm talking about. Well, you sound natural. And as someone, I guess I started doing TV on a quasi-regular basis like six years ago. But I would consider myself somewhat in the nascent stages of my television career, too. So I'm not, I don't sound like an expert in talking about this. But I know what it's like to have an IFB, which is the thing they put yes. in your ear. Yes, IFBs. And wow, producers demons. are talking to you. And it sort of becomes second nature. And I would, was curious, from your perspective, as someone who's used to having Joey Meyer in your ear all the time. Yeah. Is it similar? Or is it? No, it, it's, no. you know what it's most similar to? There's somebody listening that's going to appreciate it. It's similar to be like, to me. Like if I'm sitting on the couch watching TV and my daughter's in the other room crying and my wife's trying to tell me a story. 
And that, that's what it's like to be. Multitasking. Yeah, because you're, you're yeah. like, you're watching a TV program and you're kind of listening to it. Then on the other side, you're kind of trying to acknowledge, eh, that's kind of a fake cry. She can go a little bit longer. But then also your wife's like, are you listening <laughs> to me? And you're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. And you know that cumulatively, you have probably soaked in like maybe 10% of the information that's flowing. But that 10%, if you harness it the right way, sounds pretty good. Yeah, if you can yeah. fake it well, which yeah. clearly you can in yeah. all walks of life. That's, that's really what TV is. <laughs> so, you know, as much as sometimes even I've picked on the TV people, they have so much information coming to them right. that they are completely flooded. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to it's hard to make it all come together. I picked out a quote from you from an interview I did with you seven years ago where you said, you were born with a gene that makes you inherently less comfortable in front of people you know than people you don't know. Yeah. That you can talk to people you don't know all day long and you didn't Absolutely. know why that was. So is this... Yes. This is sort of like the ultimate... TV is exactly that way. National audience version It's of way this. easier for me to do... Yeah. T- like I, I almost don't like when people acknowledge me doing well on TV. Yeah. Because they're people I know. And I'm like, oh God... He was watching. You know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean. Actually. God, like I actually really I respect exactly that person. Yeah. I really, really respect yeah. that person. And there was that one part where I stumbled. They heard that. Right. I uh, always just assume that like I'm talking like into the wilderness and nobody's yes. hearing or writing yes. anything I'm doing. So yeah. when people ask me what it's like to do TV and like, do you get nervous or anything? Like, no, I, I treat the TV camera like it's somebody in the room that I don't know. I don't care about that. I just want to be nice and kind to. Yeah. But also informative and that's it. Like I I hold no weight or bearing into their appreciation for me mm-hmm. because I don't know them. And by doing that, I can completely melt off any stress, any, you know, like don't screw it up feeling that you might have. And it, it becomes a lot easier. Interesting. That's so just been my experience. I'm not saying I've got it perfect, but and that doesn't mean that there's people watching that I don't know, that I don't care about. It's not That's not what it means, yeah, but no, it's, it's it. a lot different when it's somebody you know, right? No, I know exactly what you mean. And, um, you know, you mentioned that in the past you'd, you'd been sort of hard on some TV people. Actually, the last time we did this podcast was the week or the days after Pocono where Jeff Gordon oh, had said Oh, yeah, things. I do remember this. Remember yes, this? yes. We discussed the role of journalism and the importance <laughs> of objectivity in television. So yeah. now that you're on that side, now that you're in the booth and sort of have to balance all of that, what's what's that? I know that you're a guy who appreciates journalism. Yeah. You studied journalism yeah. in school. What, what's been your takeaway? My takeaway on it is if a subject comes up where I don't feel like I'm object- being objective or can be objective or fair about it, to be quiet. Because... In fairness to the producers and the people that have developed these TV shows over time, they put in multiple people. Mm-hmm. I, and I feel like the reason they do that is for multiple viewpoints. And you know, there's some redundancy there. Um, so if, if you can't say something that is fair and objective, just be quiet. There's other people there that can. And not every topic does every person need to comment on. So... Right. Uh, there have been a, a few of those situations where, you know, Joe Logano won at California Speedway in the Xfinity Series while I was in a booth. And I knew I couldn't be objective with a couple of things that happened. Hmm. So I just let Michael and let Adam Alexander talk about it, and nothing was lost. And they didn't, like, coach you to do that? Yeah. Just, or you just understood yeah, that, I like, just, hey, I'm a little bit compromised I, here? When you're in the booth uh, for TV, there's a lot of, like, tapping on the back. Right, And the tapping on the back is either, hey, I got this one, or hey, I don't want this one, you take it. And you know, you just look over at each other, give a tap on the back, and say it's all you. And uh, be quiet. 
And now I'll comment on what I saw. Like, this is what he did really well, and this is why he won it. That's one thing. But I think that's a fair way to handle it, and I, I feel good about that. Has there been any feedback from uh, Xfinity drivers about, uh, hey, I don't know if... No. You, you know? Okay. No, all I right. have very little feedback. Hmm, I would welcome it, but... So that must mean you're hitting all the right notes then. Yeah, I think. From a, from a journalism I mean, perspective. I think, yeah. yeah. You know, it was, it, I actually had this one thing that I was a little concerned about at California because Christopher Bell had a kind of a bad race, a California Xfinity race. And uh, I acknowledge that, hey, that was that was a tough day for him. I, I kind of expected him to, to maybe not win the race, but be a very strong contender. Mm-hmm. And he, he ended up having a really bad day. And when the race was over, they asked me kind of my, my takeaways from the race on air. And I brought it up. I said, you know, this was a really tough day for Christopher Bell. And uh, I think he has the best team, best car. He's probably the best young talent. I'll be interested to see how he rebounds from this with his next race. And so I said that on air. And after I got done saying it, I, I thought to myself, did I say that with bias? Like, hmm. Did I say that because, you know, I've had run-ins with Gibbs or because I raced against the Gibbs cars. I raced against him last week. And so I thought about it. And I said, no, I, I didn't. I really believe that. And two weeks earlier, I, I complimented him. I thought he did a great job at Las Vegas, a tough track. He ran up front and he ended up finishing second. And, I complimented him then without bias. And I'm not saying I put him down at Fontana, but I, I definitely said, hey, this, this will be a tough one for a young team, young guy to recover from. I think that's a big takeaway as a guy that's probably a championship favorite, how he leaves this weekend. And uh, so I had to think about that after yeah. I got done saying it. Like, just like double check my heart. Like, where yeah. did this did this come from the right place? Right. And I thought about it, like, yeah, yeah, if I was a fan, that's that's what I'd want to hear from an objective yeah. commentator and and i checked off and moved on as long as you're being consistent with being genuine authentic yes absolutely the truth shall set you free in some yep, ways yep. yeah and i felt like he did an excellent job in las vegas and deserved a lot of credit for it and i felt like he had a rookie day in california and you know it'd be interesting to see how he rebounds from. so that's what i said uh, and i think that's exactly how i worded it so journalism you've got the blog still which is like in your well, I don't know, three or four or something like that. Um, year four, I think. Year, was four? 14, year five? Did you start 14, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, yes, the fifth year. Woo. We were actually just looking through the numbers on it yesterday, which I'm, I'm honestly uh, always amazed that people read it. <laughs> um, there's a couple stats to our blog that are – there's probably some viewers or listeners that this means nothing to. That probably does mean something to you, though, Nate. Uh, that kind of blew me away. I like the average person that reads my blog, reads it for like six to eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. And that's like a big stat, that's, right? That's huge. Because most people that read things read mm-hmm. them for like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. So they spend a lot of time reading, which means they're actually reading the whole thing. That's something I think you can sell to some advertisers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind of engagement. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. And uh, you know what? Our, our really strong blogs will get, uh, you know, 50,000 plus reads which i think is decent you know our, our probably our weaker ones are in the 25 to 30k which is great i'm just appreciative that people follow and, and keep up with it i try to make sure it's something interesting if i don't have anything interesting to write i don't write anything right like that that's the great thing about it yeah like if i don't have anything that i'm comfortable writing about like you know what i don't have to say anything here. so sometimes you'll go a couple of months in between blogs but then sometimes like last year i think you had like two in a week when you re-signed yeah. and you 
did something about um, that everybody's flawed if you're yeah, a star yeah, driver. Fault yeah. Stars, fault yeah. Stars, yeah, Fault in the Stars, yeah. That was a fun blog. Yeah. Usually what happens in those is I'll get like two months of just writer's block. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. And then <laughs> I'll have like a flood will hit. And I'm like, all right, let's get all these down on paper as fast as possible. Yeah. And then once you got them all down, you're like, well, now, now I got to release them all. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to sit on this yeah. because I'm afraid something else will come up. And, you know, you'll be double parked. So, You wish you could bottle that up sometimes, the ability to just write, like, effortlessly. But yep. the block, unfortunately, is always going to be there. Another blog you did uh, earlier this year, Brad, Autonomous Cars. Yeah. You're not, <laughs> you're not a fan. Um, uh, and fan's not the right word. I'm not a believer. Not a believer. <laughs> okay. Autonomous Cars have turned into the modern-day cult car culture. And I can understand that. There's some nobility to an autonomous car there's a, there's in fact there's tremendous nobility to an autonomous car and what it could do for people uh, whether it's uh, the ability to travel more efficiently uh, less pollution things mm-hmm. of that nature the ability to help the elderly who can't drive have a normal life for as long as possible those are great those are tremendous virtues that people are, are trying to you know look forward to Unfortunately, I think much of the autonomous community is caught up in ideals and lost in reality. The more experience I have with the autonomous car, and as anyone's listened, I've wrote a blog about it. You can read more about it there, but I've done a lot of research on it. I wanted to know about it. It's wise to know the ways of one's adversary. As a race car driver, you could say a computer and an autonomous right. car would be my adversary. You use the, the uh, Hunt for Red October analogy. Yeah, it's analogy. one of my favorite yeah. lines. Gosh, I love that movie. <laughs> uh, I like war movies in general. but Because when war happens, like you find out what your real limitations are during war. Because <laughs> people will push pretty darn hard when they know the alternative is dying. So anyway, um, <laughs> that said, yeah, I just I don't think the autonomous car has been thought through very well. I uh-huh. think it's got a lot of massive shortfalls the investment being put into it right now in my eyes is is very foolish and you feel as if there's there's a place for some of it but not necessarily all of it it. okay so in the blog i kind of articulate this but autonomous means different things to different people uh if you ask a car engineer in detroit what autonomous means he's going to bring up adaptive cruise control he's going to bring up features like that uh the cars that will stop you know when somebody in front of you wrecks on their own that's or even one that might parallel park itself Mm -hmm. so as a community it's a struggle to define autonomous cars right uh because most people would call that like level two autonomous Uh, most people in detroit engineers and the community has kind of recognized a five level standard and most people when you say autonomous car today that aren't in Detroit or aren't car engineers, mm-hmm. jump right to level five. Mm-hmm. Level five is I'm at grandma's house. I want to just sit in my car and go from grandma's house to the pizza shop and back. And I don't want to do anything. That's a level five. That is absurd. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. I appreciate the virtues of wanting to be able to get a pizza for grandma and come back. It's just not going to happen. The infrastructure's not there. The technology is immature. The liability is ridiculous just run down the whole chain that i'm just scratching the surface right here now if you say well i have an autonomous car right now and it works great you probably have a level two or a level three autonomous car yeah that's that's pretty good adaptive cruise control that's, that's nice yeah i like that 
some of the cars like the Tesla, they'll change lanes for you. They'll, you can program in on the freeway, it'll take you down the freeway. It won't take you to grandma's house. It'll take you down the freeway on the way to grandma's house. That's progress, right? That's level two, level three. But we are so, so far away from level four, level five, that realistically, for us to get there, it would take catastrophic events that would be just very, very terrible to see. Um, and that would be something to the effect of a world war slash nuclear explosions that completely wipe out uh, the world's infrastructure. And that's, but wipe it out in a way where smart enough people survive to rebuild it. And, and that, could retrofit it that with could, just completely automated yes, stuff everywhere. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that is just, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, so but that's the only way it's going to happen, Nate. The infrastructure challenge is dramatic. There is no technology that's going to come out uh, and, and make this viable because the technologies that would need to come out to achieve it will require redundancy. They will require significant investment. Um, and with respect to that, they won't be affordable to the masses. And autonomous only works at level five if everyone is autonomous. So that means that if you're not rich, you will not have a car, you will not have access to a car uh, if we want to level five autonomous. That in itself will cause a civil war if that ever happens, mm -hmm. where those that aren't in the top 50% of society literally can't afford to move. They, yeah, that'll, that'll be a civil war. <laughs> so it's, it's not going to, there's so many societal breakdowns that it's just, it's not realistic. So the pursuit of it, although it is very noble, um, and I can completely respect it, it is a tremendous waste of capital and energy. And, and so I'm not supportive of it. So right. that's my opinion. But some things like adaptive cruise control and those, that probably will eventually work its way into Virtually, because yeah, I mean, Ford it'll trickle a, down. Yeah. I mean, Ford made a CEO change last year because yeah. they wanted to to get ahead a little bit on some yeah. of that technology. No, no, not, that's good technology. Not the big yeah, picture that's, stuff. That's very good technology. It's very yeah. healthy. I still, and I get caught up on this all the time, Nate. What would have happened if the electronic revolution had preceded the industrial revolution? Yes, and the internal combustion engine. Yes, yes. How'd you know that's where I was going? Just. Had, took a guess. So let's, let's think about this right now. <laughs> all the roads, all the infrastructure we have right now yeah. is based around the principle of I want to go see my friends. I want to go see blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I want to commute to work. And those boundaries are being torn down by the digital revolution. Maybe that's not the right term for it. I would call it a digital electronic revolution to where I don't need to go see my friend. If I want to see my friend, I'll go online. I'll fire up Twitch and I'll play a video game with them or I'll fire up FaceTime. I'll call grandma and grandpa and oh here's your granddaughter grandson you know or i'll call up my girlfriend and i'll facetime uh, my wife or husband from wherever and i don't need to go see him today i can see him over this technology uh i don't need to go to the sporting event i have 700 channels on my television i can watch any sporting event in the world and if i can't find it on those 700 channels i can find it on a stream online i don't need to go to a racetrack i don't need to go to a soccer game but i don't need this freeway and then you're looking at the workspace in the same way. The workspace is evolving to where people are working from home at higher rates than ever before because they can. You can, you can achieve it from home. Uh, I have a friend whose wife uh, does mortgages for a large mortgage company here in North Carolina. 
does them from her house. Three days, three of the five days a week, she'll work from home. She shows up two days a week just really to check in and make sure everybody's got their stuff. So if that would have happened before the Industrial Revolution, before the internal combustion engine, think of how this infrastructure would have changed. And we're in the middle of that right now. The problem is uh, we're pregnant. We're pregnant with an infrastructure system that was built before the digital and electronic revolution. And now we have to work backwards from that. And that's a lot of what we're trying to do with the autonomous car. We're trying to work backwards, but we can't unless we start tearing up roads, tearing up infrastructure. And that is extremely cost prohibitive in itself, yeah. let alone the ability to invest in the vehicles that would be needed to achieve it. I guess the other thing to bring up there, though, Brad, is that if the digital revolution had preceded the industrial revolution, what would that mean for racing? There probably would be no auto racing. Yeah, no, right? it's, it's a great question. Yeah. Um, I think auto racing would still be around. Yeah. I think it would look much differently yeah. than what it looks right now. Honestly, I think when I look forward to the sport, would say 50 years from now, what does NASCAR look like? Exactly. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a great question because... But you don't think it's threatened by autonomy? And, and I, I think it's damaged, not threatened. Honestly, I think race car drivers are, are going through a progression now or regression to where they're, they've lost respect in society. Racing has because the technology level doesn't really seem to fit. And the generation divide mm -hmm. doesn't appreciate the ability to be mobile. I think the next generation will. I think that it's a pendulum that's going to swing back. And it's going to swing back really hard, Nate. And it's going to swing back on the basic principle of, oh, my God, you guys try to drive these things. That's how it's going to swing back. Wait, wait a minute. There's 40 people out there that are going to try to drive a car. <laughs> So it's like a backlash against the robots who are exactly. controlling our society. <laughs> yep. It, that's okay. exactly what it'll be. It'll be a backlash. Yeah. And that'll be the next, I don't know what the next generation buzzword is. You know, if millennials are this generation, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know what, what the next. What Scarlet's generation will be. Or yeah. I, I, don't what, I don't know what they'll be called. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but with respect to it, I pr I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and predict that you'll see a reverse swing of the pendulum mm -hmm. and the backlash will be oh my god i can't believe there's somebody crazy enough to try to do what computers and robots do i gotta see this i think that's where the sport will be in 50 years uh that's that's my take um with respect to that i still think there will be people driving cars yeah i just don't think it'll be the same as it is now it won't won't be fully autonomous and won't be the same as it is now i don't know exactly what it'll look like it's a fascinating question and the hitters that i've had on this podcast your team owner when when roger was on here um a couple of years ago i'm um, dave parasak everybody i've had on like who has a connection to detroit i always i've always tried to ask that question and it's interesting i mean no one feels threatened i mean no one feels as if racing is going away and i think you just articulated very well why that um, might be i tried yeah um, <laughs> i think you did the, the bottom line is i i don't think autonomous is going to take off yeah i don't feel threatened by it it's already done its damage to this generation because I feel as though this generation thinks that by recognizing and appreciating motorsports, they're undercutting autonomous vehicles and future technology. And this generation is so supportive of future technology and what it can do for mankind that they won't do that. So I think in some respects, motorsports has lost this generation. I've heard you say that before. That's interesting. And theory. not necessarily through its own actions. Right. 
right. It's as it won, as it won over a generation with very little action, just <laughs> kind of fell into it. It has lost this generation, and not necessarily of its own fault. But that that's that's a pendulum. Yeah, blame smartphones and everything else that consumes our data. And it will come back nowadays. And so when it does come back. The people that are still around, it'll be it'll be like a farmer, right? The one that's still around that hasn't abandoned his fields because the crops didn't grow. Yeah, will be the one that's successful. You've been very generous with your time. I've got one more thing I just got to ask you about because it was in the news. You tweeted about it. This family from Iowa that tragically died in Mexico on vacation. They turned out to be fans of yours. Yeah, the, big the, fans. The Sharp family. Kevin Sharp was the father. Was a racer, I mm-hmm. guess. In, yep, late in model Iowa. racer in Iowa. He um, he was a big fan. Who he painted his race car up like my race car and raced it that way. And I'd heard about the family dying. I, I read it in the news, but I didn't draw a connection until somebody showed me a picture of his race car. Because it was like the red apple. Yeah. Skin, right? Yep. It yeah. was a car I ran in 2014. And, uh, and it's just awful. You know, I, I can't imagine being in a spot like that where, you know, a whole family just perishes. It's just really hurtful to see things like that. And, and you know, I said something the other day online, and I really believe it. I, I really believe on an, on an average day that mostly good things happen. The key word is it's not always. It's just mostly. It's so easy to live in fear of the bad things that happen and forget that mostly good things happen. Like, I feel like there's... Here I am, the guy who doesn't like boxes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to build a box with me, Nate. So follow, follow along here if... if if you have any questions, let me know. Um, I feel like you can put people in this one of four boxes. There's people that believe that good things happen, and that there are good people out there, good people prevail over bad, and that we should empower good people accordingly, that we should you know, make sure that they're safe and we should grant them safe passage, safe harbors, safe freedoms, things like that. And I feel like there's a division below them that believe that the world is full of bad people and that we should hide and I should have rights to protect myself against the bad people. And then there's the flip side of that. There's boxes three and four that believe that the world is inherently good. And because of that, we don't need freedoms, rights. We don't need to worry about those type of things because the world's inherently good and will always be good. And then there's a fourth group that thinks the world's inherently bad and that no one should have freedoms and rights just simply to protect themselves. Those are the four boxes that I think people live in. And every day, you can move out of those boxes, right? Like in certain topics, I'm in different boxes, right? I believe the world is bad, so you shouldn't have any freedoms or privileges in this area. Uh, or vice versa, I believe the world is good and we should have complete, you know, it's kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum. And some of it could be attributed to, to politics as well. But... Every day I wake up and I, I have to decide what box I'm going to live my life in. And I think we all decide which box we're going to live our life in. And whether it's as a racer or a father or a businessman, I challenge myself to always be in the first box. That I believe that the world is inherently good, mostly good, not always good, mm-hmm. mostly good. Mm-hmm. And that I should live my life to empower other good people and to make sure they have the freedoms and abilities to continue to prosper as a society. And then I want to be a part of that for my family, for people I work with, for my fans, for my friends, all the way down the line. And uh, some days I don't always fit in that box. Some days I wake up on the wrong side of the bed like anyone else. 
and uh, <laughs> and I don't. But when I go to the racetrack and I, I come home from it, I try to remember that. I try to remember that racing is mostly a good thing. And I'm mostly fortunate to be there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> most days, most days, most days, it's worth it. Most days, it's worth it. Exactly. Yeah. And that. <laughs> Um, more days than not. More days than not. That's what matters. And that's what matters. And, you know, not everybody's going to fit in that same box, and that's okay. But I challenge myself to feel that way and to act that way and to remember those values. And I feel like if I can achieve them, that I'll be not only successful, but happy. And you've moved between those boxes as you've gotten older and become a father. That's Absolutely. impacted it, obviously. You know, I've thought about this too, Nate. Like, I don't know what the diagrams are. You ever seen the diagrams where you put like a circle up? Yeah. Venn diagram. Is that a Venn diagram? Venn diagram. And, and you like, like two circles and then the inner yeah. overlapping part. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 not a Venn. No. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, let's say you graph like multiple points. Oh, okay. And then you scale them out yeah. to the okay. circle. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what that diagram's called. Okay. A brief explainer. At this point, Brad got up to grab a pen and some paper to draw a diagram slash graph of what he was describing here. So imagine a circle with a scale starting at zero in the middle to 10 at the outer edge, and then picture a graph on three axes, mental health, physical health, and spiritual health. And we pick up again here. How have I changed as a person? Because people ask me this all the time. How have I changed as a person? or being a father as a race car driver. And so I try to answer this, and, and I, I've really struggled with it, and, and I just kind of hit on this the other day because I feel like mentally, as a dad, I'm, I'm probably weaker. I'm more distracted than ever before, which is mm -hmm. natural from having a kid. So if I was, like, mentally prepared for driving a race car at, like, a 9 before, I'm probably, like, an 8 now. Physically, if I was a nine or a 10 before I'm probably like an eight now just because being right. a dad and doing all those things just pulls away from it. now if I go all the way down and look at the third axis which is spiritual if I was like a third or, or three or four before I had a scarlet I feel like I'm like a seven now so what does that mean that means basically I'm a more complete person than I've ever been before in my life that's how being a father has changed me I'm I've grown as a person. In, in some ways, I've regressed, right? Mentally and physically. It's just part of being... Getting older. Being, yeah. getting old. not, it's not just getting older. It's being a dad. It's just, I ate at Chick-fil-A today with my daughter. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it's not the food of champions. Yes. It's great food. That French fry, man. God. And eating it next to my daughter, man, I felt good. And then mentally, there's the days where I just want to sit in the bus and watch film for six hours. And... There's a kid going, Daddy, let's go play outside. Daddy, let's go play outside. You know, I'm like, man, I used to sit in the bus for six hours and watch film and think about different things and moves. And it's harder to, harder to do that. I still make time for it. And with respect to, to Paige and how much work she puts into it, she does a great job of pick whatever race weekend when it's in the playoffs or whatever. And she says, you know what? We'll come in on Saturday. So you can have Friday and you can have all Friday night to clear out what you, what's on your mind to work through things. And that that's perfect. That helps me kind of get back on the mental preparation side. But it, it's still tough to keep up with that loss. Um, and I'll, I'll give a lot of credit to guys like Jimmy and Matt. And, you know, I, I know Matt's not competing anymore, but guys that have kids and how they just 
keep up. They just did it. They just found a way to yeah. get more hours out of a 24-hour day. That It's more impressive than anything else. Yeah. I find myself waking up earlier, and that's very regrettable at times. <laughs> that's unlike you, I would Yeah, think. no, it's definitely unlikely. <laughs> but you know what? I'm a more complete person. I'm happier because I'm a more complete person. And that comes from growing in a spiritual way, from being a, a husband and dad and feeling more connected to... Uh, you know who I am, and, and other people, and, and and their lives, which is which is good, and finding the right path for us as a family. So I'm I'm very happy for that. The Sharp family news involving you, unfortunately, got intertwined with the the, <laughs> the big news of the week. Yeah. What was that like for you to straddle that? Because you, I, I don't want to say that you, like you were outspoken, because I feel like now that we're hearing you talk about it, and we're hearing the context for it and mm-hmm. you know understanding that this guy was a huge fan and, and understanding the connection there i think it's unfortunate that it got caught up obviously in the whole second amendment debate that right now is kind of gripping the country in a lot yeah. of ways and but it sounds as if you know for you this was more of a personal thing than a political statement yeah i would say both i'm, I'm not afraid to hide from either one of the two i i think um i'm very very privileged to have fans that's not lost on me i can't do what i do without them Man, I tell you what, Nate, I can't tell you how many times if I feel like over the last two or three years, I'll get a fan that comes up to me and says, Brad, it's just nice seeing you. Thanks for having me and thanks for being here and racing. Oh, great. I'm glad you're here. And like, well, this will probably be my last race I go to. I've got cancer and I'm really sick. And it's devastating to hear hmm. that. Oh, it's devastating. I feel like I'm getting that more often. Maybe that's because I'm in the sport. Uh, you know, I've, I've been in sport now for 10 years. I had a guy come up to me yesterday. I was at a, a Nashville Predators hockey game signing autographs. A guy came up to me. My dad was a huge fan of yours. And if he was here, gosh, he would go crazy. And uh, he said, right before he passed away, you know, he, he used to watch all your races and big fan. I'm thinking, good Lord. You know, why, is, why are all my fans <laughs> getting sick? But it, it's something that's not lost on me and how fortunate I am to, to have fans right and and how painful it is to see someone that supports you go through something like that you know it, it probably hits home just how far we reach in those ways and uh so i wouldn't want to take anything away from that family and, and their loss uh and my respect for their support but on the other side i mean i definitely am still politically interested very much a second amendment supporter it's difficult on where to use my platform. It's difficult to find the right places. I can um, sit and hide. I think a lot of people do sit and hide in motorsports mm-hmm. because of the way the business model works. You don't want to lose a single fan. You need every fan you can get. And let's face it, the political spectrum is it's pretty charged right now. Pretty charged, yeah. And I know that polarized. I, I, I saw tweets. I'm not, I don't know if I can root for you anymore, Brad, yep. because of yep. your stance on this. But then on the other side of that, I sit here and think, why do this? Why be a race car driver? I'm just going to hide from the world all the time. Mm-hmm. But why? That's, that's not achieving anything. Mm-hmm. What, so I can chase a stat? So I can chase a million dollars? I'm in a great position, Nate, where I've, I've, I've made a good living, and I know it. But, and I, not that I don't want to keep making money. I don't need to make money. I'd rather feel good about being true to who I am than sit in a spot where I'm always worried about, oh, did I say the right thing? I don't want to 
hurt so and so in Delaware's mind or, or, or lose a fan over there because I didn't be honest or because I was too honest. I'd rather just be true. And uh, I feel like at the end of the day, I'll probably lose some fans being true to myself. I'll probably gain some as well. And I'd rather be, you know, liked and loved for something I am than for something I'm not. Do you get pushback from the team or sponsors at all for that kind of thing, Brad? Or? Uh, I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> if I was them, I would. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like you said, unfortunately, that's that's the way the business model is somewhat yeah. structured. It encourages drivers to express less of themselves. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. no matter how you feel about where somebody stands, you're not really allowed to no. be that person. You're hurting your own business model. And what's tough is when a driver is outspoken, he's not just hurting his own like salary or his own winnings, his own money-making capabilities. He's hurting his team's ability to collect revenue right. to build the fastest race cars. And from like a Jimmy Johnson perspective, I don't know if I've ever heard Jimmy Johnson say anything that I would call Maybe not critical is the right word. Controversial. Controversial sphere. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. And it's part of that that I think is the reason why a company like Lowe's stayed with him yeah. so long. It put him in a spot where he was a hard guy to go into a boardroom and say, you know what, we need to cut this guy's racing program. Even as Lowe's was struggling. Like, man, this guy's a winner. He wins on the racetrack. He never says anything that gets in trouble. Are we sure we want to cut this? And to Jimmy's credit... Being vanilla and not speaking out has helped his career. And that's the climate we have created. And not just in motorsports, but beyond. A yeah. climate where saying nothing and doing nothing makes you more successful. That's that's unfortunate. I think we're sort of seeing some progress toward maybe getting... Well, I mean, some of it's just natural that as the amount of sponsorship or corporate involvement kind of dwindles in some areas it allows you guys to be more unrestrained right i mean yeah. it sort of takes care of itself in some ways but well we're going to get to a place where the sponsors are going to leave the cars i've yeah i've heard you say this before yeah. and uh that's not necessarily a bad thing I, I i think the business model will will change and it will it'll go back and it'll it'll figure out a way to succeed because that's what racers do they find a way to succeed and we'll find the revenue some other way, uh, which will be great. It'll be fine. And when that happens, then we'll we'll regress to progress. <laughs> yeah. Racers are resourceful. I yeah, think. Uh, you have to be. That's it, what we. Do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, That's... we literally go town to town, Nate, and set up camp to race and then leave. Right. That's we're the circus. <laughs> yeah. That's what we are. The only we're... circus still in business is pretty much. Yeah. The cup yes. That's a great ways. way of looking at it. Yeah. 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 And so we'll find a way to be resourceful. I want to end on a slightly light note. Your name is Brad Kozlowski. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I've noticed it more the last few years. Does the mispronunciation of your last name ever irk you or any member of your no, family? No, my family has always pronounced my last name Kozlowski. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. You pronounce it Kozlowski, but you're okay with it being Kozlowski? Yes. I, I started pronouncing it Kozlowski probably in my late teens. Oh, okay. And um, <laughs> because I found that it was such a stumbling block conversation that it was just easier just to glance by it so people pronounce it Keselowski are actually pronouncing it correctly uh, yeah yeah okay yeah I mean it's it's I been that. mutilated multiple times so it's such a 
hard name. Like if, if people from Polish or from Polish descent come here, they they'll tell me my name's not Polish. Cause that's that's not how you would spell a Polish name. That's not how you pronounce a Polish name. Yeah. So it's been mutilated over years. So I feel like I have a license to somewhat pronounce it the way <laughs> I want to. My real last name is spelled with a Y. Huh. So if you want to carry it even further, <laughs> All right. it's Keselowski with a Y. My grandfather changed it in the 50s because the Y was uh, associated with communism. And he didn't want my dad or any other generation to live with the implications that we were potentially communists. <laughs> so he changed it. We're not. Wow. Uh, but just to make sure of that, he changed the spelling. And so with respect to that, I feel a license to pronounce it, spell it as I wish. And I, I've pursued that simply because I think it's such a distraction for any interaction that I have that it was worth it. Huh. Because I would get caught up in settings where I'd say Keselowski and people would lose it. Like they would go, so wait a minute, how do you say that? Or then they'd add other consonants to it because they would get confused. Yeah. So they would start to use like Zs, things like that. And it was just turned into a complete disaster. Once I started pronouncing it Keslowski, which other people did for me, and I noticed it worked, no problems. That's great. So All right. I have always, I should say always, I have in my driving years always said Keslowski. Oh. Now my, my grandfather or uh, uncle raced in NASCAR. And it was so bad that he did not even use his last name. So in a lot of the record books for my uncle, uh, who raced in NASCAR, USAC, he went under Ron K. And the K was K-A-Y-E. And that was so people wouldn't say our last name. And, and it just was too difficult to deal with. <laughs> I had no idea. And that's yeah. sort of the K Automotive yep. racing thing. That's where the K Automotive came in. from. Okay. It's not Keselowski Automotive. It's not Keselowski Automotive. It was K Automotive. Brad K. Yeah. A lot of people call you Brad K. I didn't know you could call Keselowski or Keselowski. I didn't realize both were correct, but. I don't stammer at all. Honestly, if somebody starts with a K and ends with a ski, I stop it right there and I'm called good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've had people add R's, I've, I mean, Q's. I mean, just start with a K and end with a ski and keep the conversation going. All right. Well, no matter what you call him, Brad Keselowski has interesting things to say. This has been a very illuminating interview. Thank you so much for sitting here doing this, Brad. This is great. Pleasure. Yeah, Always good I company. Like the NASCAR and NBC podcast is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much wherever you download podcasts. If you have any feedback, please send it to me on Twitter. At Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.